thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that truth that we have come to understand. And we gather today to seek and see your glory. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to show your powerful presence in this place this morning so that we can walk out of here as glory revealed. Lord, I pray that it would all be by the power of your spirit and through the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who came a savior for the world. It's in his name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word of God. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, whom was engaged, was whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he did. De- he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the ho- said the angel, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God wi- is God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have intimate relations with her until the son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You give me a hug. You rock it, sister. Woo! You may be seated. As you, as you are seated, find your Bible or your Bible-like substance and open it up, if you would, um, to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. I decided we're going to fast forward this series. We're just going to skip the next 19 chapters of Matthew and just jump right to, no, just kidding. Um, but I do, I have something I want to show you. So open up to Matthew chapter 20. We'll come back to uh, the, the passage that Faith just read so beautifully. Man, I love it when our kids uh, just show off like that and sh- show him off like that, I should say. So let me turn. I was in chapter 1. Let me turn to chapter 20, and I want to show you um, something. So t- look at chapter 20, and look at verse 25 is where I'm going to start. Now let me just quickly set the scene. So what's happened in this scene in Matthew, we're going to jump in. We'll get into the details of this scene um, when we get to Matthew 20, Lord willing, whenever that is. Um, but what's happened here is the, the sons of Zebedee, who are James and John, two of the disciples, their mom, who, oh, by the way, back, a little backstory here, was a financial contributor to the, to the ministry of Jesus. So she's playing the game that's been, that, play, that they played in, in that day religiously, and she's going up to Jesus and saying, hey, since, this is, the, this is the white space theology, since I'm supporting your ministry, how about if my boys get to sit at your right and left hand at the kingdom? And Jesus looks at her and says, you have no idea what you're asking. Can they actually take the cup that I'm going to take? And, she, and, and they both pipe in and go, yeah, we can do it. And he's like, yeah, you're going to do it. You're going to take the cup of suffering. You are going to get, and they, and they did. They, they died for their, well, John gets boiled in oil and then, ex, um, and then exiled on, a, on an island for the rest of his life. But that's not really much of a life either as a Christian. And so they end up, um, and, 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 but, it gets, but the story gets even worse. Because while they're having this debate with Jesus, the rest of the disciples are listening in. And they're like, well, who do these people think? Who do James and John think they are? How dare they ask for the best place? I mean, you can, you can just imagine Peter. 
Like, Peter probably lost his ever-loving mind, right? Like, he's like, if anybody here is sitting in his right hand, it's me, you know, and I'll fight you all for it. Now, now here's, the, here's why I share that, all that backstory, and I share it that way. Because look at Jesus' response. Verse 25 of chapter 20 of, of the Gospel of Matthew says this, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so with you. And in the Greek, that's written in what's called the imperative or the emphatic. He would actually have said something like, not so you. You are different. Be it. And then he says, but whoever would be great among you would be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. We're in this series that we're called the kingdom of heaven. And we're talking about how the king has come. And all these things are working together. But guys, we need to hold in tension the two versions of Jesus that we separate so much. So when, because when Jesus comes again, he is going to come with white hair aflame and eyes that are like a flame and a tongue like a sword and mountains are going to melt like wax before the Lord. And, he, and that is our king. But he also came as a gentle and lowly savior shepherd. And we need to hold both of those in tension. It's so easy for us to kind of go, you know what, I'm going to, man, Jesus, this is, the, this is King Jesus that I'm affiliating with. And so this kingdom is going to be a politically or a powerful kingdom. And it will be when he comes. But we forget all about the gentle and lowly. The, if you want to be first in that kingdom, be the slave of everybody. Like, we, like that, that, is, that is not the American message. That is absolutely the message we're going to see Jesus preach over and over and over again in the Gospel of Matthew. It's why the imagery on our, um, on our, on, for the series, it's up there and it's on the screen, this idea of the kingdom of heaven. It's why the crown is upside down. Because the kingdom of God is completely upside down in how it is different than the worldly kingdom. Because the, this worldly kingdom that is being controlled by the God of this world, Satan, is all about power and authority in a sense that is like boots on necks and jesus does not lead that way that is not the kind of king he is it's not the kind of king he was and it's not the kind of king he will be guys when we get to the beatitudes here lord willing in in a, in a month or, or more i don't know when it's going to be sometime around the holidays i'm guessing but when we get to the beatitudes the blessed are the poor in spirit blessed it, it's going to melt our brain because it is so anti what we think of even as christians let alone as americans and so I want to just encourage you, as, as I said last week, we've talked, we're, you're going to get tired of hearing the word kingdom come out of this mouth and out of the mouths of other people that are teaching up here. But I want you to, one of the phrases you'll hear me say sometimes is this upside down kingdom. Upside down doesn't mean broken, it means completely different. It means it's like the antithesis of what we think of as a kingdom here. That's the kingdom Christ is preaching in the Gospel of Matthew. So, 
what we're looking at today is the arrival of the king. You must have thought, maybe you thought it was a little weird. I don't know if you noticed, but that song we did there right before the doxology, He Shall Reign Forevermore, when do we usually sing that? Christmas. Some great music that we think of as Christmas music. So it wasn't my idea, but one of the girls said, hey, why don't we do some Christmas music? And my first answer was, no. I'm like, it's not Christmas. It's August. It's a hundred and ridiculous out. And then I'm like, but wait a second. We talk all the time about how I wish we did some of these songs at other times because they're not there is some great theology in some of the good Christmas songs. So they did a Christmas song because we're in the Christmas story. We're talking about the arrival of Jesus. But I'm hoping you're going to see it from a different perspective because since it's not Christmas, I don't have nearly as much um, angst about blowing up your version of the Christmas story. Like when, when it's Christmas time, I don't want you all walking out here going, oh, we got to throw away our nativity scene. But you might after next week's message, right? And so, um, so with that, we're talking about the arrival of the king. Look at your first talking points question. First, so the shift to this idea of arrival. So the first talking points question is this. When someone important is visiting, what kinds of things do we do to prepare? Just quickly. What kinds of things do we do if somebody important is visiting? Michelle. Clean your house. Okay. What else? Fix food, feast, prepare food. Good, what else? Get a haircut, clean yourself up a little bit, right? How about, let's, let's take it from the personal level, which was good to start at, and let's talk about like from a, from a, from a, like a, a, a state level, like a, a national level. So some important dignitary is coming to the United States. What does our government do? What? Pre preparation. So they, what do the preparations look like? Secure, extra security, red carpet, fancy meals. Like, I mean, the, the amount of money they spend is just outrageous. Here's why I share all that. We're, we're, the arrival of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is coming today in our passage. And we will see none of that. We will see nothing special from the state, from the religious people, or frankly, even from the two people who know who he is. There is no, they didn't go get haircuts. They didn't, they're just trying to survive. That's the Christmas story. So what we're going to ask today is we're going to ask this question as we look at this from a different perspective of is when is it the hardest, when is it the hardest for us to remember the king has even come? Now, I'm not asking for an answer. When is it the hardest, sorry, I know I don't always make that clear, but what, when is it the hardest to remember that the king has come. And what we're going to look at today are three points in this passage. We're going to talk about it's the hardest when the news isn't good, when we've forgotten our need, and when we, um, I'm sorry, my third point, I just blanked my brain. Oh, when, when it costs something to follow Christ. And that's what we're going to see. And so turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 18, where uh, Faith just read for us, and, and I'm going to um, and we're going to be in some other places, too. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Somebody will put a Bible in it. But look at, um, so, so the, the pericope or the heading that is not inspired, it probably says something on your Bible like the birth of Jesus Christ, right? And then it's going to go on in verse 18. And it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So let me back up. Let me just stop right there. So in this idea of the news is not good, I want to I show you why we call this the gospel. This is the good news. Christ came, Emmanuel, God with us. It's in this passage. But, but they don't yet see this. They're not going to see this as good news yet. We've got the benefit of hindsight. 
God always has the benefit, air quotes, hindsight, nothing is hind to him. But he always knows what, like, what's best now because he knows what's, what, what's coming forever. But they didn't know any of that. Now, now, the reason Matthew's sharing this story right here, one of the reasons Matthew's sharing the story, is he needs to elaborate on something he said in last week's passage. So if you look at verse 16, remember we, last week we just went through some of the genealogies, and he was the father of so-and-so, and he was the father of so-and-so, and, and we saw how David is in there, and, and, so, and so are people like Bathsheba and Rahab, etc. Now you get down to verse 16, and it says, and Jacob, not, not Jacob the patriarch, Jacob was Joseph, the, Christ's earthly father, was the father of Joseph, Joseph, the husband of Mary. Now look at what it says. Of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Now, the reason that's important is because the way Matthew wrote that is he's saying Jesus was only born from Mary, not from Joseph. He just went through a whole list of beginnings. Like people getting busy and having babies. And he gets to Joseph and he makes the point of saying Joseph did not have Jesus. Mary had Jesus. And there's a reason for that. So if you go to the passage that, that, um, that um, RJ that took us to as our calling passage, the, the same scene, the birth story of Jesus, or the announcement of the birth story of Jesus in Luke. So go to Luke. It was our calling passage. So turn to the right of where we are in Matthew. Go to Luke chapter 1. Since he already read the whole thing, I'm not going to reread the whole thing for you. But, but there's the scene where Mary gets told about the baby coming, right? And this is, you know, we, we preach this almost every Christmas in some way, shape, or form. But what, now, what's happened is Gabriel, who's one of the archangels, there are only three angels named in, in all of Scripture. There are Gabriel, um, Michael, who are the two, and then, and then Lucifer, who fell and became Satan. So these aren't, this isn't just an angel. This is like one of the, one of the top three biggies. And he has been sent on this all-important message. And he's been waiting a really long time for this. I mean, you can just picture him up there in heaven throughout all of the eons of human history going, do I get to go now, Lord? Do I get to go now? Because he was the messenger. He was the, the one who would bring the good news. And he's like, and, and, and God's like, hey, just cool your jets, Gabriel. Like, seriously, settle down. It's not time yet. Now, all of a sudden, there's this time. He shows up to Zechariah, who's Elizabeth's husband, one of the high priests, says, hey, you're going to have a kid. Guess what? That's pretty exciting. And, and, um, and Zechariah's like, well, I don't know. You're telling me the truth. I think you're lying to me. And Gabriel's like, oh, 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 do you know who I am? I mean, he literally says to him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And you little peon question me? Shut it. And he won't let him speak until John is born. Now he comes to Mary, this peasant girl in the middle of nothing, with nothing. And he comes to her and he says, hey, you're highly favored and you're going to have a baby. And, then, and he's going to be the son of the most high. And, he's all, and, and Gabriel's just like, he's hitting the ground because he's been waiting a long time for this. And he's all excited. And, Gabriel, and, and Mary's like, uh, wait a second. He doesn't, she doesn't doubt his truth. She wants to know some details understandable she's never been with him she's never kissed a boy now she's gonna have a baby like she's like oh my goodness so she says i'm gonna have a what can we hey i know you're all excited gabriel but can we just back up about five steps and can you explain to me how that's gonna happen since i've never even i've never been with a man and oh by the way although she doesn't say it here what we'll see in, in matthew she's been promised to joseph for maybe their whole lives like in their culture, just as a little, a, a quick little back, like in their culture, arranged marriages were a really common thing. And Joseph might have been waiting years, saving all kinds of money, till he finally got to a place 
where he could actually be betrothed to Mary. And then even that betrothal would last at least a year. And one of the reasons they would wait a year, from betrothal was like marriage. You didn't get out of it. Once you were betrothed, it was like we think of as marriage. You just weren't physically intimate yet. You weren't living in the same home. So, and part of why they waited a year, folks, was because they wanted to make sure that the woman was faithful. So they wanted to wait for the whole, because the term of pregnancy, to make sure that she was being faithful before they actually paid all this money to the father. It was a, it was a business transaction in a very real way. So all that to say, so, here, so here's Mary. She's like, wait, well, what's going to happen? Now look at, what, look at what Gabriel, how Gabriel explains it to her in verse 34 of chapter 1 of Luke. Then Mary said to the angel, um, how, how, how is this going to happen again? Because I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore you will be with child, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. Now, guys, I, I, maybe I'll ask for young ladies in the room who have not had kids yet. Would, how many of you would that solution, would that answer work for? If, if you were like, hey, I'm pregnant. You know, you go get the EPT test, and you're like, I'm pregnant, and you've, and you've never been with a boy. You've, you're, you're like, and, and, the, and, and, and the whole, or the, and Gabriel shows up and says, well, it's because the Holy Spirit came upon you. Like, I mean, honestly, even, even as be- like, believers, with knowing that the story, this has never happened to anybody in the history of the world, we know it's happened, and we would still be like, no way, that's not possible. Your dad would kill you, right? I mean, he just would. I, just so you know, the two, yeah, there is no Holy Spirit coming upon you, right? And I say that going, you know, in some ways that's like blasphemy. What I just said is like, I mean, it really is, like, right? Because, because look at sweet Mary. She's like, nothing is impossible with God. Not, that's, now, that's a great answer. And, and I'm not belittling that. Mary was a remarkable woman. I mean, in every sense of the word, a remarkable woman. But this rocked her world. Everything in her world is destroyed at this point. We have hindsight. We see this as good news. Mary did not see this as good news. She had plans. I I guarantee you, every young lady in this room has plans for what their marriage is going to look like, and this ain't it for Mary. And she is freaking out. I I guarantee it. So now let's go back to Matthew where we're supposed to be in Matthew chapter 1. So that was all sort of backstory. Pick it back up in verse 18. So the birth of Jesus took place this way. Only through Mary, not through Joseph. He's talking about the incarnation. We're going to see in uh, our second point why the incarnation was such a necessary thing. That means Jesus was fully man, fully God. Why does that matter? It matters massively for who Jesus was or is. And it says in verse, um, so now let's pick it up in, at the second half of verse 18. When his, mother Mar- when, when, when his mother Mary, so Jesus' mother Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, so before they were intimate, Keep it family friendly. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now she had gone away after the scene we just looked at Luke. She gone away to be with Elizabeth, her aunt, for three or for three months. She comes back and she's probably four months pregnant. She comes back to her hometown and she's got a baby bump. And she's got no. And there, there's only one explanation for the baby bump. And, and in that culture, now, everybody says that, that that was a penalty worthy of death. At the time that Mary lived, they were not stoning women to death for that. But let me tell you, they were shaming women like nobody's business. Like, like one of the things that we have to embrace, this is an aside, I didn't think, the Lord just told me I got to share it. So one of the things we have to, if, if we really want to be pro-life, 
Like if we're, and we are. Life begins at conception. We're all about, we have to be pro-mom. Right? That means, like, if, if we have a young lady come to us and she's pregnant and she's not married, we do not shame her. Right? Because that's what this culture, I mean, I'm telling you from, guys, there's a scene, I think it's in John chapter 8, I'm sure it'll come out as we go through the series, even in Matthew, but this reputation of Jesus being a bad child, like a, a, a child out of wedlock, followed Jesus his whole life. The Pharisees come to him and, and say, we're, the, we're sons of Abraham. You're a, and they used a different word back then, but the, the word we all think, that people are thinking right now, you're a child of infidelity. Right? The, the shame, guys, now, now where does that show itself in our culture, even, and even where we're not talking about unwed mothers? Guys, the shame culture that is brought about by things like social media is overwhelming. I'm not anti, like, social media. I'm not. But I'm just telling you, especially with young ladies, there is a reason that things like um, suicide rates are going through the roof. And it's because the shame culture that is being brought about by things like that are, is, 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 is we were not made there is not enough church, there's not enough D groups, there's not enough word of God that can overcome the hours you're spending getting your identity somewhere else. It just can't. It, you you got to put it down. I beg you, set a timer. Like, like, like not, not because your parents are asking you to do it, because your soul just needs it. I need it. Frankly, so do us as adults. One of the biggest complaints among high schoolers now is that they can't get their parents off their phone. Shame on us. Shame on us. There's some shame. Okay, I'm going to be so over time. Um, So they're in this one-year waiting period, right? They're, they're, They're having this time, like, where they're trying to figure out Okay, so, so what are we supposed to do? The, the point here is, so if you look at verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man and, and willing and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Because it wasn't just Mary's life that was turned upside down. It was Joseph. Man, this man has been waiting a long time for this moment. And he and his, his what we think of as a wife comes home, who he's never slept with, and she has a child. And he still tries to honor her and treat her with respect because he knew her to be a woman of honor. He doesn't know what happened. But, but the fact that, guys, the point is, this, this whole idea of, of what, where do we turn like when, when, when the news is not good. We think of this story as great news. To Mary and Joseph, it was horrendous. It destroyed everything about their lives. So here's my question for you guys. Where do, we, where do you turn when the news isn't good? We just prayed. I mean, I, I didn't know we were going to pray what we prayed today. But, man, you, you just, like, there, there's a lot of, there, and there are people in this room that I know are hurting that, that where the news is not good. Where do you turn? Where do you look? Who do you run to? Right? Do we have the faith and the strength of Mary and Joseph to just go, I'm going to trust May it happen to your servant just as you said, is what, is what Mary 
I'm sure through massive tears, said to Gabriel. The question we ask often when we're dealing with, when we're talking to people that are in a, in a point of trial, whether it's in a marriage that's falling apart or whatever the issue is, is we'll ask this. Is your God big enough to change whatever it was that happened, your circumstances? Is the same God who spoke stars into existence? Guys, what's easier for God to do? What's easier for God to do? Fix, fix all the problems in, in Mary and Joseph's marriage? Or incarnate his son into a teenage peasant? The answer is the first one. And yet he does both. Why? Because he can do anything he wants. So ask yourself the question constantly. Is your God big enough? Ask each other, is your God big enough to have stopped this from happening? If the answer to that question is no, then we need to back up and talk about God's sovereignty. But the answer to that question is always biblically yes. And so the next question becomes, not why is this happening, because we don't always get the why answers, but what is it God is trying to reveal about himself to you through this? Because there is, we will come out on the other side of whatever it is. As much as we sit there and go, I don't understand, we get to that place, yeah, Job started out strong, but he got to a point where he went, you have turned cruel to me, talking to God. And God showed himself to him. And, and, he's, and, and, and ultimately, what we know is true in Job's life, what's true in your life, what's true in my life, is when we get to the other side of glory, we will always see that what God did was the only good thing. Because that's who he is. Guys, write that down. Whatever God is doing in your life is the only, and you're following him, you're seeking him. You're, we talked about the will of God. It's one of, from the last series. Go back and read, listen to that message. If you're, you're doing all those things, the, guys, Whatever is going on in your life is the only good thing God will do, can do. That's why he's doing it. He knows best. And man, is that hard to, to remember when you're in the storm. And it was for them, and it is for us, and that's just the way it is. Look at your second talking points question. When you or someone you know is hit with some really tough stuff, how can you or they come to a place of okay? Just come to a place of, it's It's okay. Like, so when you're hit, so, so what do we do? Like, how, how do? like, what are some things? Just quickly. We got to move. Okay, acknowledge God's sovereignty. I heard that a lot in our prayer time. Guys, we, we, we know who you are, God. Good. Share the burden. What does that look like? So, and I'm so glad you said that, Jeff. So, so be, like, like, remember what Job's friends did before they lost their minds and went sideways? Is they just sat with him for a week in the dirt. Guys, we need to give people room to lament. We need to give each other room to lament. We don't just want to look at somebody and go, well, you know God is sovereign, Jesse, so it's okay, brother. Just buck up. He's got your back. Come on, man. Like, he, you know, he's, you know, he's, you know, he's going to sprinkle you with, with something, and you're going to be fine and see rainbows and unicorns for the rest of the week. No. Right? We, we don't want to just jump past pain and go, hey, you know what? God is sovereign. You're okay. Yes, we want to remind him God is sovereign. He is good. He is in control. And this stinks. This is hard. And I just want to sit here with you and go, man, this, this is unfair. I hate this. It's okay. That's, I know. You're like, oh, you can't say that. Yeah, you can. David did. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Far from my groaning are the words of my mouth. I cry by day and you don't answer me, God. What's up with that? And yet he's like, so thanks for not squashing me. Yet you are holy. Yet you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Yet in you our fathers trusted. And you did not disappoint. So we just need to be with people. We need to remind people of, guys, but we also, guys, here's, here's, here's part of why that's hard, is we're not very good at sharing our pain. We're not very good at sharing our shame. Because, because too often we've been, we, we have had that experience of it's like, you're like, hey, how you doing? Well, you know, really, honestly, right now, my life, oh, well, that was good. Thank you so much for that. And, and we just keep going. Because I didn't really want to know how you were doing. I wanted to hear good so I could move on. Right? And so, so, or, so what we do now is what we've trained ourselves, each other to do is we clam up. We don't share our pain. We don't share our struggles. Everything is fine. All is going, and, and, and that is exactly the opposite thing of what we're supposed to do. You know why? Because here's, here's where the enemy turns that. He turns that to, the reason I'm not sharing this is because I, I don't want to show my weakness because I'm the only person in the entire world that would actually be thinking what I'm thinking. And the reality is everyone in the room, like literally, it's not you're the only person. It's everyone in the room is thinking what you're thinking when they're, in, when they're, when they're where you're at. And we don't share. So like when my dad passed away um, a year ago and, and when, when the Dawkuses um, were going through their struggles, I'm, I was able to talk with Jeff and go, Jeff, for me, I was having thoughts like that, that, that were like, and then I, start, I would have thoughts like, God, God, just take him. Just take him. Why aren't you taking him? And then I would be like, man, that's a horrible thing to say as a son. Right? I'd be like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'd start feeling guilty about that. I, I, I had these moments of complete selfishness when I was up there helping take care of him and going like, like, like what, you know, what, why, is this, why, why am I so impatient? And, and then I'd feel guilty about that. And I think I was, man, I'm like, I can't tell anybody about that because people will think, like, you're the worst human in the whole world. Your dad who's got Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and you can't even, take, you, you can't even be patient with him for a couple of days. And yet, guess what, guys? Everybody I talk to, when I share that story, they're like, man, it's like this, it's like this weight has been lifted off of me. It's like, oh, I was having that same thought, and I felt so horrible about myself. That's the enemy. That we, ha- we have to learn to be more honest, but that means we have to build a place of trust. Okay, so where do we go in the word? Where, 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 sorry. So, this, so where, where are the times where we like, have a hard time remembering that the king of kings has actually come? One, when the news isn't good. Our world starts to get shaken, it starts to crumble around us, that's not good. The other is when we forget our real needs. So let's pick it up in verse 20, and, and we'll try to pick up the pace a little bit. For, um, it says, in verse 20, so we forget our real need. He says, but as he considered these things, so as, as, as he goes off, you can, I mean, you can imagine. I, I'm sorry, I just have to. Um, you can imagine. So here comes Mary, three weeks, three three months away. He's been I mean, he like he's in love with this woman. He shows up. He looks down. He's like, he, he immediately know, knows what's go, what's happened, and his world crumbles. And my guess is he walked away going, I don't I don't know, like I don't know what to do. I mean, he he had to have been crushed. So when it says we we just read it as, and when her husband Joseph had been, um, or sorry, and when he considered these things. Guys, that considering was soul-crushing torment. It wasn't just, hey, I'm just sitting around thinking about what I should do with my pregnant wife. No. Like, it was torment. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of God, son of David, do not fear for, to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So he's pulling, like where Luke taught, where Gabriel told um, Mary in Luke chapter 1, 
right? And he's, it's conceived of the Holy Spirit, and, you, she shall, and she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for she, he shall save his people from their sins. So just quickly, let me, let me t- like, w- what is this whole thing about conceived of the Holy Spirit? It's the immaculate conception. Like, we, we talk about the virgin birth. It really should be the virgin conception, right? Because, but what's so special about that? Why, have we ever stopped and asked, why did that have to happen? Why couldn't Joseph have just been the father of, G- of Jesus? Now we go, well, because he was fully man and fully God. Yeah, but, but why does that matter? Well, because if he's not fully God, then his, sin on the, then his payment on the cross is insufficient. Absolutely true. But why does that matter? And we ha- I'm not going to have you turn there, but you have to go back to the garden to figure out why that matters. Because in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, like everything in the story goes back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Genesis chapter 3, we were made to be in the presence of God. Our rebellion separated us out. And we were now out of the presence of God, and we died spiritually. Adam and Eve died in that moment, spiritually. And they have been passing that spiritual death on to people since then. You have inherited that death from Adam and Eve. And it's gone from generation to generation to generation. When we were in the Gospel of Romans, Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 5. As from one man, Adam, sin spread to everybody. From one man, Jesus, salvation can come to everybody. But the only way that's possible is if there's a part of the incarnate Christ that didn't get the virus. It's not just, and I say just, I mean, it's, it's not just that the Holy Spirit, into, it's, it's that he couldn't have the seed of Joseph. Because that seed comes with sin for all of us. It's the way it is. So he is now 100% man, 100% God. It's God putting on the flesh of man. And we'll see how that works out as we go through the rest of the gospel. And, and and, And the reason it matters is because that way, he, his sacrifice, is not only sufficient, but it's sufficient for us as men and women, as humans. And it says, he will bear a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You guys have heard this about probably every Christmas. Jesus is just the um, transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua, or it's a version of the, it's what the word, jo- the name Joshua became in the time of Jesus. There were a lot of little Jesuses running around, um, and, and it just means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is our salvation. So you're going to call him Jesus. That was his human name because that's the message that we want to send, just like Joshua. Um, and so he's like, but, but, and we're not going to get, to, it's not in this passage, but eventually we're going to say, but he was the Christ. The Christ is just the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. It means the anointed one. It's not Jesus' last name. I'm Doug Troyer, I, but he is not Jesus Christ. He is Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. The anointed one of God. But there's power in that name. And we know that and we'll see that as we go through the series. And then he says, and this all took place to fulfill the word of the Lord. Now remember, this is, this is Matthew's, like this is his big thing. Because he really wants to drive home the point that the story of Jesus is just the completion of the Old Testament story. So he uses this phrase, and this happened to fulfill, so that, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. He uses it a lot. And so here he's saying it's fulfilled because that way from Isaiah chapter 7 and from Micah chapter 5, it's, it's what was promised from the prophets hundreds of years. That a behold, a virgin shall conceive a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
So you say, well, so, so Jesus is Yahweh is salvation. Emmanuel is the promise of, of, of God, God with us. And it's, it's pulling, it's what John says in John 1.14. And the word, God, became flesh and made his dwelling with us or among us. It is the incarnate, like, like we, we needed God to come. But we needed God to come and not be a God like us, but to be a God with us. Not like us, no sin, which is a good thing, but with us in the sense that he is now, and in, and in John 14, he, he, Jesus says, and the Holy Spirit who is with you will be in you. So it's ultimately the incarnation becomes part of this, like we are incarnate beings because now his spirit lives in us. So look at your last talking points question. It says, the church has gotten away from talking about sin. Why is that? And, what is, and why is that detrimental to the gospel? I'm asking. Okay, we need saving. Why? Because we're sinful. Okay, good. Keep it short, Michelle. Because if there is no sin, we don't. Okay, so, so I, I want to come back to that. So if there is, that's, thank you. If there is no sin, we don't need the gospel. Good. So, so I want to come back to that and finish this talking points with that thought. So don't let me forget that, Michelle. But think about this, guys. Th think, so, I'm at, so why has the church gotten away from talking about sin? You guys all jump to the theology, which is awesome. I love you people for that. But why have we gotten away from it? Because we want people to feel good. Feel, it sounds judgmental. Shame. Like, we don't want to talk. I mean, we, yeah, we don't, like, we don't want to, we want to, we want to feel good, right? So we want to go to a place that's not going to tell us we're sinners. It doesn't sell. Right? Yeah, it, it does not, like, it is not, that is not the church growth model that built church, that made church, the mega churches in the, in the 80s and 90s. Who are you to judge me? So, I, so I, I asked for all that input because I said, like, I get that talking about sin is not popular. And I understand why, for all the reasons that I feel personally, too. Like, I don't like to be reminded of that fact in my life either. But here's the thing, back to Michelle's point. If there is no, if, if that isn't our reality, if there, if, there, if there is no sin, then there is no need for the gospel. Guys, to not talk about sin, to, to, to not have this phrase in here, and he will save his people from their sins. Now, he's not talking about, I, I want to back up to, remember we talked last week about, he's not talking about just Jewish people. Because we, we saw in John 1.11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him, but as many as did receive him, John 1.11, who believe in his name, they, that's us, will be children of God. So he's not just talking about that, but he's saying, but they need a Savior. Guys, God sent us not what we wanted. What we want is a politician, I'll just be honest. What we want is a politician that's going to set our country on a moral trajectory that's going to make everything feel very Christian. But we don't need that. I, I wouldn't necessarily mind that. I'm just saying we don't need that. So God did not send that. He did not send a teacher, a moral teacher, though Jesus obviously taught morally. He did not send a healer, though Jesus did heal. He sent a savior. Why? Because that's what we need. 
We don't need a teacher. We don't need a healer. We don't need a politician. We need a savior. Why? Because we're sinners. But guys, understand this. You, are, you don't sin. Or, or, the fact that you sin isn't what makes you a sinner. You sin because you are a sinner. It goes back to that, the point about the, about the seed of Adam. Apart from Christ, we have no ability not to sin. Now, in Christ, he has taken away the punishment. He's even removed the power. We don't have to sin anymore as saints. We still struggle, but we don't have to, right? But we don't, but, but we, what we've done is we've turned this into this idea that, that somehow um, if, I can, if, I, if, I, if I, I, I can stop sinning, like completely, and that makes me, I'm not a sinner. No, I don't care how sanctified you've gotten, you're still a sinner. Just in Christ, you're now a saint. I hope that makes sense. So let's look at our last point. We're going to land this plane with this. So when is it hardest to remember the king has come? It's really warm in here today. Holy cow. When the news, when the news isn't good, when we forget our real need, and when it costs you. And I, and I do need to take a minute and, and share this before we go to our time of response. When following Christ costs you. And some of this I've belabored, so I, I won't spend as much time on it as I had planned on this point. But look at verse 24. He says, when Jesus, when Jesus woke from his sleep, he, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. But knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, guys, we read that and we go, man, that's a great Christmas story. Isn't that an awesome way to go? Guys, that was the hardest thing Joseph could have done because he immediately obeyed. He could have went, you know what, I'm just going to put her away for a while and let her have this baby, and then we'll, we'll go somewhere where nobody knows our backstory, right? And instead, he immediately, he breaks all of the traditions. He probably didn't even finish out the year of betrothal. He said, this woman needs me, and I, and the Lord has told me I am to take her, and he immediately obeys. That was massive sacrifice. He and Mary were shunned by everyone in their community at that, from, from that point on. And it, and it didn't just last a few months. It didn't just last until Jesus was born. It lasted their entire lives. They were shunned. They were ridiculed. They were shamed. Guys, it cost, it, this story, that we celebrate and should cost Mary and Joseph everything here. But man, can you imagine what their reward is there? Last place I'm going to have you turn. We're done in Matthew chapter 1. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Guys, it always costs us to follow Christ. It always costs us to follow Christ. We have got to get away so back, sort of, sort of connected to this idea of why sin isn't preached in the church today, we have got to get away from this idea of easy believism. I came to church, I prayed a prayer, I go to church, maybe, you know, I, I, do, the, I do the once every four to eight weeks go to church thing, I'm a, I call myself a Christian, of course, because I'm a Christian, because I'm an American, all that stuff that, guys, we have got to get away from, that, that is just nowhere in Scripture, and yet, somehow, that is okay for a for a massive majority of people that call themselves followers of Christ. Do you know that the word Christian is, is rarely even used in the Bible? Not because it's a bad word, but because that wasn't the paradigm. Christian is a label you put on yourself. A disciple, a learner, a follower describes a life. Christian is just a label, like Republican. Probably a bad one to use. But 
It, it just, but, but we, we need to get back to using words the Bible uses, like discipleship and follower. They were followers of the way, is how they were described. Right? Because, because Christian just means, I punched my card, I'm in. And guys, that is, look at what Jesus says. So, so in, in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 24. It says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Guys, your cross, though, your cross is not a burden you have to bear. We got to get, when he talks about take up your cross, Oh, you know, my wife that won't submit to me, that's my cross. Or, oh, my job I don't like, that's my cross. Guys, that, the cross did not signify a burden. What does the cross signify? Death. It signifies death. You would not have seen a bunch of people walking around in the first century wearing little crosses around their neck. It'd be like wearing a little electric chairs around your neck. Be a little weird. It was a symbol of death. Whose death? First Christ and then Yours. When, when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's saying, die. Die to yourself. That's what following me, guys, in order to grab hold, you have to let go. What we try to do, especially in our country, is we try to hold on to all our, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this, and I got, I probably shouldn't touch that, huh? And I'm, I'm going to hold all my stuff, and wait, I got to come over here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and grab Jesus, and I got, okay, I got, I got him, I got him. Oh, wait, no, he slipped away. I got, this is, that's how we live. Guys, the, in order to really grab a hold of the cross, I have to let go of all of the junk so that I can actually grab onto the cross. And, and we have sold a version of Christianity. And frankly, if, if, I'm, if I'm honest in my, in my like, deep, dark recesses of my soul, I live a version of Christianity way too often that is, Jesus is just an add-on. He is, he is on my priority list, and he's at the top. He is not meant to be up on your priority list. He is meant to be the one who writes your list for you. That's who he's supposed to be. That's what he means when he says, take up your cross and follow me. For what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Guys, we have got to get away from this idea of, um, of nominalism, of this idea of like, you know what, at least I'm better than those people who call themselves Christians. At least I, I'm, I'm here at church today, and, and, and all of my Christian friends are out at the lake today. And so at least I'm doing better. Like, like that, is a, that is such a low bar. And we said it all the time. I said it all the time. Guys, we have got to raise the bar. Now, I'm not talking morality. I'm talking motivation. I'm not saying just stop doing bad stuff and start doing Jesus stuff. I'm saying what's your motivation? Our motivation should be what does it cost the king of kings that we might be able to follow him? As the music team comes up, guys, I want to ask you a question. If your life is not substantially different, I mean substantially and I'm not talking morality. I'm talking motivation. I'm talking about what you live for. If it is not substantially different than your unsaved neighbor or, clo- or classmate, what is that saying about your commitment to Christ? Guys, if your life is not different 
than the nominal Christian. Nominal just means they, call, they, they have the name Christian. They call themselves Christians, but they don't really, like they, you, if you said, hey, what's the, what, you know, what, what's the Lord share in, your, in the word? I, I don't read. Well, how about you? How's your prayer life? Oh, I don't pray. Do you go to church? No, not really. But, I, but I'm a Christian. Oh, okay. So, so why? But if your life is not much different than that, and by life, I don't just mean physical life. I don't just mean moral life. I mean your um, internet life. If your Instagram, what is it called on Instagram? Feed. If your Instagram feed, if your Facebook page, if your Twitter slash X, whatever he's done to it is, like is, is not any different than the nominal Christian or, or the unbeliever. What is that saying about our commitment to Jesus? We have, we have if, if this series on the kingdom of heaven does nothing else, it has got to push us past this idea that somehow we can live in this kingdom like everyone in this kingdom. We are kingdom people, his kingdom people, meant to live by his kingdom power for his kingdom's sake. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for that truth. I thank you for the truth that, um, that your kingdom come, that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, I thank you that, that you have not left us here to try to just white knuckle this thing out. I, I do pray. I, I feel like I, I feel like I might have preached a gospel of works, and I don't, I don't mean that, Lord, at all. So if that is what people heard, I pray that the Holy Spirit would fix it. I pray that the, um, that your Spirit would do the work that only He can, and that is ultimately take the word that was taught and apply it to our hearts at whatever level it needs to be. Maybe for some it's for salvation. Maybe they've been playing Christian and now they realize, man, I have not surrendered my life to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But for some of us, maybe it's just looking down at our hands and realizing they're still too close fists and that we just need to open them up and say, here I am, Lord. Send me. But Lord, I thank you that, that we... That all of that, salvation, sanctification, everything in between, um, is by your power. That, that, you, that you did come and, indwe- and dwelt among us, and you sent your spirit to indwell us, to live in us, to incarnate yourself through us. So Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would um, remember what it cost the king. And that our response to that just be, here is my life, a willing sacrifice. In Jesus' name. Amen.